0: Joshua 24:14 through15. "Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in the land in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Matthew 22, 35 through 38. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Acts two forty-two through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will be also qualified to teach others. This is the word of the Lord.
1: The stuff up here for the uh, unhindered initiative. Sorry about that. All right, see, that's what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> so, a couple things that's on my mind this morning. I woke up this morning and I um, was reading Psalm 19, just in my regular Bible reading. And I don't know if you have times like this in the uh, in the Word, but for me, I just felt like I couldn't engage with it. I, I was I was reading it. I know I've read it like a hundred times. I know what it says. It talks about God's general revelation and his specific revelation in Jesus Christ. And uh, I was just kind of sitting there, just kind of looking at it and going, all right, God, I'm not sure why I'm, I'm in this this morning. Well, then Richard uh, in his pastoral prayer of all the things he could have prayed through would be Psalm 19. And then this morning I show up at prayer before the service and Mike Hall starts praying about Psalm 19. And my, my point is this, that oftentimes we don't really know exactly what God's doing in our lives. But the greatest confidence that we can have in the world is that God is at work, that God is at work, regardless of whether or not I'm able to put it all together or you can put it all together. I mean, in this unhindered initiative, let's just blow it out a little bit, okay? We're being honest. Like, we have aspirations as a church. We want to we move forward. We want to grow in all of these ways. People, place, and mission. Fundamentally, as we talked about last week, the, the greatest hope that we have, though, is not in our plans. It's not in our plans. It's not in our vision summary. It's not in 2.1 million dollars. Our hope and our confidence is in the Lord that God is at work. God is at work at this church. He he definitely is at work in this church. Um, He's at work in times like Psalm 19 when you're going, I'm not even conscious of what you're doing right now, but God is at work. And so, During this Unhindered Initiative, we talked about it last week, we have this Ebenezer, the stone uh, tower that we're building out there. I would love for you to write down a way that you see God at work so we can memorialize together what God is doing among us. There's there's a lot of things that God is doing, but let's make sure that we spend a little bit of time praising God for what he's doing. We can be so caught up in what's coming next and, and the next step that we fail to see how good God has been in the past and how good he is for us in the present. You know, during this Unhindered uh, Refresh series, um, I have decided, coming back from sabbatical, that I just wanted to talk about in three sermons things that I really care a lot about and that we really care a lot about as a church. Um, You have an opportunity maybe once a year to do a vision series, and, and I've just come back motivated to talk about worship, and to talk about discipleship, and to talk about evangelism. I feel like coming back to Trinity Park and and being gone, these are the three big things that are on my heart. And last week we talked about worship, and this week we'll talk about discipleship, and next week we're going to talk about evangelism, that as a church we care about these things. This is what we really care about. If you strip away all the other stuff, and all the— if if you look into why we do what we do— I hope it would be that you see that we. This is why we we worship, we we love discipleship, and we love evangelism. And as Philip and Zach just did a great job of presenting for us. Thank you guys for doing that. The biggest bucket of unhindered is to become an unhindered people. Uh, roughly 1.1 million dollars that we're seeking to raise over the next two years would go to us becoming an unhindered people. And in the vision summary, you can see the ways that we would like to spend that money, if, and we are spending that money as God provides it. Uh, we want to see new staff hired. Another element uh, that's, that doesn't cost money but costs time and investment is we're raising up new elders and deacons. We have a congregational meeting next week where you can elect some of these uh, men or all these men that, that the Lord puts on your heart. Uh, we've purchase a new database to help us communicate better together. We have new growth and development opportunities that we're going to be rolling out in in early 2020. And and that's really exciting. That's extremely exciting that we can fund. We don't have that full 1.1 million yet, but we have a lot of resources that God has given us, and we're trusting that God will give us maybe that full 1.1 to become an unhindered people. But at the end of the day, we need to realize this, that The world is full of churches that have at least $1.1 million and have a great staff team and have a lot of good activities happening to promote people's spiritual growth and development. And yet in those churches, people are not really growing spiritually. We're not, people are not really growing in Christ. You have to realize that it's very possible that we could reach all of these objectives We could hire all of these staff, we could have as many conferences as we want, we could purchase as many books as we'd like to purchase for you, but that does not necessarily translate into us being disciples, into us growing in grace, growing in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is really the big point. Like At the end of the day, what is a church? What are we here for? We're here to grow in Christ, we're here to take our next steps in the direction of Of Jesus. So discipleship is one of these words in the church that you feel like if you've been in the church a long time, you're almost embarrassed about it because you if somebody were like, What does it mean? What does discipleship mean? You might not even know how to define it, how to even talk about it. It's one of those words like worship last week where we get so used to throwing it around in church together that we never stop and we just pause and go, What does it mean to be a disciple, or what is discipleship. Okay, what is discipleship? So uh, we're going to take a moment and I ask Claire Hine to, uh, to tell us about what he thinks about discipleship. Amen. Thank you. So, talking about discipleship, what do we mean when we say discipleship? Um, First of all, we're going to talk about what we mean when we use this term broadly in the church. When we say discipleship broadly, what do we mean? Well, it refers to, first of all, when when there's a discipleship uh, relationship happening, there has to be um, a call from Jesus. So, first of all, when we say discipleship broadly, we're talking about Jesus' call. Jesus' call. Discipleship begins with Jesus' call to us. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. There's another place in Mark chapter 2 where Jesus just simply says, Follow me. He says that to, to his disciples follow me simply. Or Matthew eleven twenty eight, which we had in our, our scripture reading, come to me, Jesus says, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So discipleship generally begins with a call from Jesus that we must respond to. I love this quote from the Chronicles of Narnia where it says, Aslan threw up His shaggy head opened his mouth and uttered a long, single note, not very loud, but full of power. Polly's heart jumped in her body when she heard it. She felt sure that it was a call, and that anyone who heard the call would want to obey it, and what's more, would be able to obey it, however many worlds and ages lay in between. So discipleship... Generally, to become a disciple, you have to hear a call from Jesus Christ. Jesus is calling, we just sang this morning. Have you heard that call? You cannot be a disciple of Jesus. You cannot be a follower of Jesus if you are not in relationship with Jesus. And when you're in a relationship with Jesus, Jesus is the one who does the calling. Jesus is calling. Have you responded to him? So first of all, there has to be a call from Jesus. And second of all, for there to be a discipleship relationship happening, you have to then respond, as Polly talks about. Anyone would would want to respond and have the ability to respond if Jesus is calling to them. You know, Jesus, when you're in a relationship with him, Jesus is the leader of that relationship. Um, You're not just buddies kind of side by side, walking through life. He does call himself your friend. But he's more than just a friend. He is your leader, and so you are responding to him. You're in a relationship with a leader. And that's what we learn in some of these other scriptures that Carrie read for us, such as Joshua 24. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So part of the response that Jesus requires of us is that we would put away our idols, that we'd put away our other gods. And then in Matthew 22 Jesus says, what I want you to do is I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Jesus says, when I call you and you respond to me, I want your whole heart. I want you to come to me without reservation. And then in Mark chapter 8, in another place that highlights this response that is part of discipleship, Jesus says, whoever would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Matt Chandler uh, says, in commenting on this passage, says that what Jesus calls us to is to self-renunciation. We need to we need to embrace self-renunciation. So when Jesus calls, he is the leader, and he calls us to what? He calls us to do away with our idols and to serve him. He calls us to self-renunciation. He calls us to have no other gods before him. And so you might ask, well, why would you do that? Why would you respond to Jesus in this way, that you would receive this call and have this response where you would want to give your life to Christ in such a way wholeheartedly? And it's this, we all come to a point in our lives when you follow Jesus that you recognize that the ways that you've been doing things before, depending on yourself, self-reliance, trying to figure everything out on your own, whatever that Sin is for you, that pattern of sin. It's just not working anymore. That that is leading you to death. And so in light of Christ, in light of his love for you, and his holding out hope for you and grace for you in the gospel, you look to him and you recognize that in Christ, you have a leader who loves you, who is calling you down a road of discipleship, not merely so that you would just renounce yourself, but because in Christ he offers you such hope and such joy and such promise that you would be willing to say, in light of everything that I've tried and explored, you've got to be kidding me. I need Christ. I want to follow him. And so in that call of Christ and that response to the gospel, why do we respond? It's because of the kindness of Jesus. It's because of the kindness of our Lord that he would call us to follow him. And that's how discipleship that's how a discipleship relationship with Jesus begins. But, you know, you, you might ask, like, is this really, and Richard alluded to this in his prayer, like there are tons of people in this world that would say when they, when they talk about, they hear about Jesus calling and us responding and that leading us into life, real life. You've got to realize in this world we live in that most people, they don't believe this, they think, it's, they think we're kind of crazy. I think we're kind of crazy that that we would be disciples, followers of Jesus. You know, J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis had a conversation into the night in September of 1931. So at this point in time, Lewis was beginning to intellectually thaw to the idea that maybe there was a God, but he certainly had not embraced Christianity and its core doctrines. And they were talking about 3 a.m., one night together. Lewis was explaining he didn't understand central teachings of the Christian faith, concepts like the blood of the lamb or the atonement. He asked Tolkien, how is it possible that one man's death could save the world? It seemed incomprehensible to him. And so Tolkien and Lewis engaged in this conversation These are two men that ended up writing myths. They were obsessed with mythology, some of the most creative minds of our time. And so Tolkien explained the gospel to Lewis in creative terms that Lewis could appreciate. Tolkien said this. He said, yes, the story of Jesus the Christ is a kind of myth. It is the authentic story of the dying God who returns to life to rescue his people from sin and death and bring them into the blessed land. To bring them into the blessed land. Years later, Lewis, reflecting on this, would say this. If ever a myth had become fact, had been incarnated, it would be just like this. And nothing else in all of literature was just like this. Here and here only in all time, the myth must have become fact. The myth must have become fact. What I'm saying is the reason why there's power in believing the gospel is not just because you believe the gospel, and it's not just because Jesus is calling you. It's not just about Jesus' call and our response, it's about what Jesus did in the center of history. It is what Christ did in the center of history that he became a man incarnate, humbled himself to death on a cross, and was raised from the dead. So that when we embrace Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are part and we are united with all that he accomplished for us at the cross and at the empty tomb. This this myth, as they're talking about it, is the the true myth in their terms. It's, It's the The real and living history of the world that Christ fulfilled for us. Jesus made the gospel true in living history. And that's how we are transformed. Because Jesus is at work in our real world, in our real lives. So the third element of broad discipleship, when we talk about discipleship broadly after it's Jesus' call and our response, the third element is this happens in community. This happens in community. You know, as soon as you respond to Jesus and you're following him on the road, and that is an individual decision that you need to make, it's, it's between you and the Lord, it really is, that's, that's part of it, but as soon as you respond to the Lord, you find yourself on a pathway with a lot of other people. It's called the church. We're all responding to Jesus together. We're responding to Jesus in the context of this community. And this is normal Christianity. In our world today, what we find is there's a lot of abnormal Christianity. Okay? There's a lot of uh, people you know, watching their favorite internet preacher, uh, people that are sort of like mentoring themselves by going on Amazon and buying books and uh, kind of a DIY Christian growth program. Uh, it's a weird thing that we are exposed to today. But how growth is supposed to happen in the Christian life mainly is in the context of a local, embodied group of, of Christians called the church. And this is what we find in Acts 2:42. So as soon as someone becomes a Christian in the early church, they're incorporated into the local church. And we read about that, uh, where they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread to the prayers. We we read that they took care of each other, that they practiced hospitality together, and that in this, this community, this community of the church, what happened as a result? Well, what happened is discipleship happened. Growth in grace happened in the context of this local embodied community. As they heard the word preached as they took the sacraments, as they met in their small groups, as they invited one another into their homes, as they shared their possessions, as they shared their faith, they found themselves transforming and growing spiritually. It says in verse 44 in that passage that awe came upon them all. As they were in this community together, they realized how great God was like regularly, I hope this happens every Sunday for you, or, or maybe nearly every Sunday, where you have a moment, even just for a moment, where you just realize God is great. And in, in the context of maybe your community group, maybe someone loves you well and you just think, man, God is good. God is good to me. That, that's how we grow spiritually. It says in verse 46, they were filled with gratitude and generosity as we as we live together and behold the gospel, we become more generous. And then in verse 47, it says, the Lord kept adding to their number. Kept adding to their number. And so the way that the early church experienced spiritual growth, what happened? You know, Peter preached in Acts 2. People responded to the gospel. Individually, they believed, and then they were included corporately into a community that was this incubator of faith, incubator of spiritual life. Sometimes at Trinity Park when I'm talking to people, I I say this is like an organic discipleship process or this is our gospel ecosystem. And it's really important uh, for churches to have an ecosystem or a life together that if you get plugged into that life, if you you get involved on Sunday mornings and you're worshiping, if you join a community group or you attend Bible studies or you're in life-on-life relationships with other people, that it's a healthy gospel-centered community where life is happening and life is being produced. We should not, to whatever extent that's happening at our church right now, and it is happening, we shouldn't take that for granted as if that's just normal, okay? I mean, it's, it's really unfortunately not very normal, in a lot of church situations where, where a lot of people are just growing spiritually and they're gospel-centered and they, they, they want to follow Jesus. And so to whatever extent we see that happening here, praise God for that. Praise God for that. That's what the church is for. That's what we're all about. As we experience gospel-centered preaching, corporate worship, prayer together, we're entrusting relationships, we study the scriptures together together, As our children learn to love Jesus in children's church, as we engage our community in the world, God changes us by his grace. This is God's normal way of working when the church is healthy, when a church is is gospel centered and gospel saturated. And so we're excited that we're seeing this happen at Trinity Park. When you when someone asks you how you're growing and you're in a church like that, it can be a little bit difficult to describe sometimes. Uh, you, can, you just are, you know, I'm plugged in in relationships, I'm, I'm present on Sunday mornings seeking to actively engage, um, and over time I'm, I'm being loved by people well, and, and I'm growing, you know, and it's, sometimes it's hard to describe, but praise God. Praise God when he's at work in those kind of ways. So, so discipleship, when we say discipleship in this broad sense, discipleship really is, it starts with a call from Jesus, and then it includes a response from us, and that response always happens in community. It should always be happening in community. That's discipleship in broad terms. As we seek to take our steps in the direction of Jesus, that is what discipleship means when I say it broadly. Okay, those, those types of ideas. But then the Bible also talks about discipleship more specifically sometimes as well more specifically as well. So with all the activity going on in the church's life, what makes the difference between those who are growing spiritually and those who might not be as much? Like, what makes the difference with all of these things? We talked about Unhindered, $1.1 million, all these resources, all these programs, all these ministry activities going on. Some people are growing, some people are not growing as much. What is the What's the delta? What's the substantial difference between those two two people? Well, I think the word I would like to highlight would be intentionality. Intentionality, okay? Following Christ needs to become personal. It needs to become intentional on your part and on the part of the community around you. Okay, So, so some of this is on you, that you have to take growing as a disciple, following Jesus seriously. And so you are intentionally, as you are involved in these relationships and in these ministries, you are following Jesus. And then the church also, the community around you, needs to be intentional to help you grow. So we're going to talk about these two aspects of what I would call more specific discipleship. The first element would be um, you intentionally informing your life to the gospel, you intentionally conforming your life to the gospel. You know, we just talked about how in the gospel, uh, there's, this, there's this work that God is doing where he's calling us to himself. And as we talk about the gospel, you can talk about it in four different movements that I want to highlight for you. Okay, there's four different movements to the gospel throughout the scriptures that help us understand what the gospel is and how to apply it into our lives. The first movement of the gospel is creation. It's creation. And we're seeking to conform, as I'm talking through this, what we're doing is we're seeking to conform our understanding of ourself and who we are to who God is and what God is doing in the gospel. And the first element of that is creation. So, so God created the world, Genesis 1 and 2, and he also created you. He created you personally. He created you with a certain design, a certain dignity, with certain gifts and abilities. He created you in his image. And so part of of embracing the gospel story for you is understanding how God has made you personally. Claire was talking about that a little bit in his video. How he was learning self-understanding. How has God made me? How has he uniquely crafted me? The second part of the gospel story, the movements of the gospel, is the fall. That you personally, as you learn to apply the gospel story to your life, you learn that I have been broken by the fall, not just generally because Adam and Eve sinned and not just generally because I sinned, but particularly there are ways that I am broken personally because of the fall. I I have particular areas of brokenness that are unique to me in my own story. And so as I am intentional about the gospel and understanding what the gospel is, I have to see that that there are ways that I am broken, in particular ways that may be even different than other people, that God needs to change me. And that's part of embracing the gospel story for me. The third element is is redemption, and redemption starts after Genesis 3.16 on. uh, We start seeing this, this growing movement toward Christ and the scriptures, and where God is redeeming the world through Jesus Christ. And as we embrace the gospel of grace, as we understand the gospel uh, and how true it is for us, we begin to see that Jesus is healing us and restoring us from our brokenness. He's forgiving us of our particular sins, and he's healing us through the gospel, in those particular areas of our lives. And he's restoring us how? He's restoring us in his image in particular ways that are unique to us. And so as we are intentional about the gospel and understanding our lives in light of the gospel story, we start seeing ourselves in this way. And then finally, renewal. You know, God, or restoration, as another way to put it. God puts desires on our hearts and longings in our hearts for ourselves and for the world around us. And we see how deeply broken the world is. And some of those areas get healed completely through Christ immediately. And other areas do not. And other areas we wait. We wait for the redemption of the world in the end, the new heavens and the new earth. And in this in-between time, we are pulling in all of these these longings and desires, as many things as we we can for mercy and for justice and all kinds of other areas. We're, We're seeking to bring God's kingdom here on earth, realizing that we have longings that will not be fulfilled until the end. Why is this important? Well, why it's important is there are so many different competing stories and narratives out there for you to potentially follow with your life. There's so many narratives Um, that you could believe about yourself. There's so many narratives that you could believe about the world around us, about what the most important story, what's really happening in the world today, that you have to choose. You have to choose which story, which meta-narrative, is another way that sometimes people will talk about it, which big story is so true, like Tolkien told Lewis that night. It's so true, it's so deep, it so encompasses the reality of the world that I'm going to believe that story. I'm going to believe that story, and I'm going to actively shape my life, my own understanding of myself and the world around me. I'm going to shape it around that gospel story. I'm telling a lot of Tolkien and Lewis stories this morning. If you've been around Trinity Park for a while, it's probably been like five years since I've quoted from these guys, but um, I've been reading a book this week that's been fascinating called uh, A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and a great war. And the idea of this book is that Tolkien and Lewis, I didn't realize this, but they fought in the Great War or World War I. And their whole view and how they wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and Lord of the Rings and other writings was shaped by their war experience, was shaped by what they went through during this time. You know, these guys were both raised, they were friends later in life, they were raised in the same period of time. Which was the early 20th century, and between 1900 and 1914, the big narrative of the world was humanity is limitless. We can do anything. All the inventions. Uh, we have a better opportunity to communicate together than we've ever ever had before. And so the Victorian era was in full swing. Like everybody was optimistic about the direction that the world was headed headed in. And Tolkien and Lewis breathed this in. This was the, this is the world they grew up in. And then 1914 happened and World War I happened. And it, like no other war before, devastated until World War II would come along. But at the time, unprecedented casualties. Everyone knew someone who died or was maimed in the war. Trench warfare. Both of these men fought in the trenches. Both of these men held... Their friends as they were bleeding and dying in the trenches of World War I. And as a result of World War I, what you have coming out of World War I from the mainstream narrative of the world was disillusionment. You have despair. You have writers like Hemingway and Eliot, who this is their, this is their whole shtick. This is it. It's pointlessness, you know, despair. And then you have guys like, Lewis and Tolkien, who instead of succumbing to the despair or worse, probably, I would say, uh, Nazism, communism, fascism, all came out of World War I. What did they do? Well, these men became Christians and then they became friends and they began to consider how can we infuse the gospel story into our work and into our writing how can we make sure that whatever we offer the world is not either pandering to this humanistic idea that all human human beings can do anything, not taking into account the fall, or also not saying that that human beings are ultimately evil and we're capable of nothing. And so what you have in their writings is you you have people like Frodo and Samwise Gamgee and you have Peter and Lucy. You have people who live in the middle of What we love, because it encompasses a Christian worldview, creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. My big point is, though, that in our world today, just like them, there are competing narratives. And you can, we're told to believe all kinds of things in the mainstream media all the time, or not even the mainstream media, your friends, your friend group, you know, even at church, you know, you're going to be hearing things about what's ultimately true in the world, and if we're not vigilant like Tolkien and Lewis were back then, we're going to succumb to a narrative that is far, far short and less important and, and less true about ourselves in the world than the gospel narrative, the gospel that I've been created in the image of God, that the world has been created for God's glory, that we've experienced a fall in particular areas of brokenness, that we're being redeemed So I don't have to despair when I see sin in my life. I don't have to despair. I'm being redeemed and I can hope for heaven. Being a disciple of Jesus means, just to boil it right down to the the very center is, it means intentionally applying the gospel in your life. The gospel story. Learning to see yourself conform to the image of Jesus through this narrative of creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. Now, the good news is, as I said in my first point, that you don't do this by yourself, okay? You might be thinking, gosh, you know, like, I'm not sure I can really do that. I don't, I don't really feel equipped to apply this four movements of the gospel on my own. How do I do that? Well, the second point is we need to be intentionally entrusting the gospel to others. We need to be intentionally entrusting the gospel to others. You know, Tolkien and Lewis, they had each other. They had a group that met at a pub once a week called the Inklings, and they would hang out. And what would they do? They would talk about how their work needed to be shaped by God's work, and they would talk about their lives together. I think both of these men, they would certainly say they could not have done what they did without each other. And I think we need to take that as well. We need to realize that we were not meant to figure out how to be disciples of Jesus by ourselves. There is an individual element to it. But there's also a corporate element and there is a friendship, life-on-life, intentional relationship element to it that if you read the scriptures, it, it is absolutely fundamental to taking those next steps for you in the direction of Jesus. Jesus. We, like these men, we need to have friends and mentors in either one-on-one or small group settings that are helping us take those next steps. And this is very biblical as well. This is very biblical as well. You know, Jesus, we're just following, really, we're seeking in the local church to follow the ministry of Jesus. Jesus, what did he do? He called 12 people to himself. And he said, follow me. And they did. And that's what Jesus did. And then you might wonder, Is that just something Jesus did, or is that a good idea for everybody else to follow? Well, his disciples ended up discipling other people, and then the Apostle Paul comes along, and in 2 Timothy 2.2, which was read for us, you have this scripture, and also in Titus 2, where Paul is saying that the normal way that the gospel goes forward in the church is through intentional life-on-life relationships. It's where the things that you have heard said, as it says in 2 Timothy 2.2, in the presence of others, you need to take those things and you need to entrust those truths to others who will then entrust those truths to others. And this is how leadership development, this is how discipleship happens in the church. In fact, you, you can't explain the growth of the New Testament church without seeing uh, part of the fabric being these intentional life on life relationships where mentors were handing off the faith to other people, developing them so that they could develop other people. Much of the growth that we desire to see cannot happen outside the context of intentional life on life relationships. It can't happen at Barnes and Noble, it can't happen on the internet. You have to be intentional in these relationships, embodied time with other believers. This is really important, because sometimes when we get into discipleship, and I think Trinity Park in particular can fall into this, and it's part of, I think, Kerry culture as well. Um, we, can, we need to be careful not to try to develop a culture of perfectionism, where we feel like the, what discipleship means is like working out all of my problems so that I don't have any problems anymore, or so that, so that I reach some kind of like spiritual echelon and I'm, I've arrived, all right? That's, we do not want to have a culture of perfectionism at Trinity Park. In fact, the very opposite of that, in order to grow spiritually in these intentional life-on-life relationships, what we need to understand is that weakness is the pathway to grace. Weakness is the pathway to grace. When you are sitting with someone, very practically, and they're sharing from their heart about what is going on in their life, and they're giving you trusting access to their soul, what do you need to do? You need to listen to them. You need to listen to them. You need to love them, and you need to realize that their weakness, what they're confessing to you, is the very inflection point where God is most at work. This is not like something they need to deal with so that they can get on with growing spiritually, okay? No, when we encounter our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities, we recognize that this is where God is at work. And so as we're in relationships with each other, as we're walking together, we can recognize that weakness is the pathway to grace. You know, in terms of discipleship, um, I've asked Haley Strouth to come forward. Haley is on our women's discipleship team, and uh, I've asked her to come and share just how God has been at work in her life, and some uh, relationships around her to help her grow spiritually. Thanks, Haley.
2: So for, can y'all hear me? Okay. For me, um, the word discipleship is a very familiar one. When I went to college, I immediately got involved in a campus ministry. And soon after, I started meeting regularly with my Bible study leader for one-on-one discipleship. And over the course of my four years there, I had several women, both older women um, on staff with crew and older students, um, invest in me that I would and meet with them during um, just different seasons throughout my life there. Um, then after we graduated, uh, we joined staff with this ministry. And over the next decade, in multiple contexts, both overseas and stateside, have the, had the opportunity to invest in several college students and staff women, And at the same time, I also had the privilege of having many women invest in me as well. And so it might seem like with over 15 years of experience in campus ministry that I would have this whole discipleship thing figured out, but I definitely don't. And um, actually, the interesting thing is when Corey asked me to do this, I was kind of going back through the list of all of these women that either I've had the opportunity to invest in or have had the opportunity to invest in me. And, um, and he even, he asked me to just share if there was any one in particular and nothing was really standing out in my mind. And so I just began to pray and I just began typing. And when I got to the end of it, I realized, um, I haven't really answered the question that Corey, Corey asked of me. And, um, I sent him a text and said, "Is it okay if I go a little bit rogue here?" And he said, "It was totally fine." And um, but the crazy thing is, I'm even—I'm almost shaking standing up here, not because I'm nervous, but just because I'm blown away by the way that the Holy Spirit has really um, even entwined everything that Corey has been saying this morning with everything that I am going to share just about the way that I have grown in this community um, here lately, and. Um, It's really been over the last few years that my perspective has really expanded from a more formal idea of what discipleship looks like, more of this kind of campus ministry model of an agreed upon mentoring relationship where you meet together regularly, you might have content that you're going through together. Um, kind of beyond that to a larger, more organic perspective where you're doing life together with many brothers and sisters in Christ and in the process spur one another on in our relationship with him. And don't get me wrong, I do think that these formal discipleship um, relationships are definitely a necessary part of our growth in different seasons of life and is often more of a, um, a part of this more expanded organic perspective, but I know that I personally do myself a disservice, and I often miss out on what the Lord is doing in my life when I limit myself um, to only the more formal structured one as well. And so for me, this has happened um, as I've walked through life in this body of believers at Trinity Park, where I've seen the necessity of encouraging one another to run after Christ in our day-to-day lives as we live in community together. And it really hasn't been until I've been in this church for seven years now. And it hasn't been until recently that I've entered into a more formal mentoring discipleship relationship with someone here. But I can still look back over the last few years um, and see how much I've really grown in my own relationship with the Lord through men and women in this body, encouraging me and really discipling me, helping me to grow as a disciple of Christ through our everyday interactions. And I've what I've really seen is that I... Um, discipleship isn't just limited to me talking about how I'm doing personally or how I want to grow or like Corey said these problems in my life that I want to get past but really that I need the body to lift my eyes off of myself and point me to Christ to help me grow in my worship of him to hunger and thirst for the word to remind me of my desperate need to pray and to help me engage with those around me who don't know Christ with the gospel. So what practically has this looked like um, for me to grow as a disciple of Christ in this community? It looks like praying together as a women's ministry team last week and as we prayed, a sister, and I don't even know who it was, um, praying and reminding us that apart from Christ we can do nothing. This was a profound moment for me during a season when I'm trying to do so much out of my own strength and knowledge. It looks like a friend who's uh, maybe 20 years ahead of me in this journey of walking with Christ, who has shown me the treasure of knowing God's word well and the necessity of it in my day-to-day life. It looks like being in the word on Wednesday morning in Bible study with my sisters in Christ, wrestling over the things that we don't understand, hearing their insights of how the gospel has shined, shines through to us in the book of Genesis, and pointing to, pointing each other to our need for Jesus as we do so. It looks like a friend 10 years ahead of me in the parenting journey, reminding me of my desperate need to be completely dependent on the Lord as I seek to disciple my children as I share my many, many struggles in parenting. It looks like hearing my husband's heart for the nations to be reached with the gospel to spur me on to an eternal perspective of the Great Commission being fulfilled and people from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping Christ for all of eternity. It looks like a dear friend sending me messages with scripture and truth about who God is in the midst of my desperation in my day-to-day life and always being available and willing to hear my mess and pray with me. It looks like hearing about the faithfulness of God in the lives of friends who have walked through long journeys of suffering and loss to see the grace of God at work through their perseverance and endurance in inexplicable ways that reminds me that this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It looks like processing with friends and with our community group about how do we engage with our neighbors and the people in our lives who don't know Christ and just seeing how hard it truly is and praying together and together seeing our need to just walk in dependence on him to work in and through us. And ultimately, it just looks like living vulnerable in relation, vulnerably in relationship with people who are broken and in need of Jesus just like I am and allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us as we speak into each other's life. So for me, as I look back, I can see the growth um, that I've experienced as a disciple of Christ that has come through both seasons of more formal discipleship, but then also um, less formally as I just live together in gospel community um, with people in this body and, and um, in the church at large and community together. Um, Currently, I do want to share as well, just in women's ministry, we're processing together what it looks like for us as women in the church to engage in gospel community in this way. And we would really love for you to pray for us as we see the needs of women in the church and seek the Lord together for wisdom on how to move forward both in more formal discipleship settings as well as cultivating gospel community together in organic ways. If you um, women have not had a chance yet to um, fill out the women's ministry survey, we would um, encourage you to consider doing so. On it there is a section to express interest in mentoring others and if this is something that you feel like the Lord is possibly leading you to, please pray about it and let us know. And if you're in a season of life where you feel like you need someone investing more intentionally in you, please let us know as well. In the meantime, as we pray and trust the Lord to lead us to grow in these areas, we want to encourage all of the women in the church to join with us in the things that we're already doing to grow as disciples of Christ. We are getting ready to wrap up our fall Bible study, but for the first three weeks of December, we're going to continue on Wednesday mornings to meet and do a little just Advent Bible study together to prepare our hearts um, for Christmas. And we would love to invite everybody to do that with us. And then finally, we have our um, women's retreat coming up in February, and this year it is going to be a full weekend. And so it will be a great opportunity to grow in community, community with one another um, in the, as women in the church as we interact with God's word together. And our vision and hope is that we will just grow in our capacity to abide and thrive in our relationship with the Lord together. And more information will be coming um, about that in the weeks to come. But in the meantime, please be praying that the Lord would make it possible for you to join us. Um, but more than any of these formal events, we want to encourage everyone to intentionally move towards each other in vulnerability and trust the Lord to use you in the lives of others to help them grow as a disciple of Christ. Thanks.
1: So, um, thank you, Haley, um, I would echo those same thoughts as she asked you to pray for the women as they think about women's discipleship. Pray for the elders as well in our session meeting. You might wonder what do we do in our session meetings. Well, this uh, this month we're talking about discipleship for, and evangelism the whole time for three hours. So uh, this is on our hearts and we're going to be talking about this. So pray for God to be at work uh, so that we could lead the church well in this area. Uh, I'm just going to close with this. How do you take your next step in the direction of Jesus? And this is it's very similar to what Haley was saying, um, but just to, to to boil it down, as you look at what's going on in your life, as you look at all the opportunities you have for your own growth and spiritual development through this church, how can you be intentional in those relationships? I heard this back in high school, and I think it's some of the best I've ever heard about how do we think about these relationships that that we're in? And this this brother said, uh, I can't remember who even preached this message originally, but. He said everybody needs a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy, okay? And the idea is just that you need, you need a Paul in your life. You need somebody you're looking up to to help you grow spiritually. That could be a formal relationship or more informal. It could be multiple people, uh, not just one person. I, I say sometimes I feel like I have a bullpen, uh, to use a baseball term. I've got a lot of different people I look to, um, and, but I think it's really important that you do have people that you look up to, so you need to identify who is helping you walk uh, forward spiritually. And then you need a Barnabas. A Barnabas, it's, it's someone beside you. Uh, Barnabas means son of encouragement. You need encouragement, you need a friend or friends. Again, you, don't, you just need to be aware. God, God may have already given you these relationships. Uh, maybe he hasn't, but in the context of community group or Maybe a women's Bible study or a men's Bible study or the men hung out at Biscuitville yesterday. You know, who knows? Uh, But God's at work and we all need that encouragement. So who are the Barnabases in your life? And then finally, you need to ask God to provide a Timothy for you. Now, now this is where it takes a little bit of a step of faith, right? Because you're going, I feel great about being led, maybe, or at least somewhat good. And I feel really good about having friends and encouragement, but I don't really want to be anybody's Paul. I don't feel like I can be that. You know, I don't feel like I can actually pour into anybody's life. Well, I'll just close with this. Going back to the early church, the the turnaround period for you to go from conversion to leading others was not very long. Uh, It certainly wasn't like seven or ten years, okay? So, there's somebody out there that you can help grow spiritually, that person could be a child in our church. That person could be someone in our youth program. That person could be somebody in your neighborhood. But don't just leave it at, I want a Paul and a Barnabas and then not really a Timothy, right? The way the church expands, 2 Timothy two, 2 is that we entrust what we have to other people. And that's how God works. So on the way out today, we're really trying to emphasize prayer in this Unhindered Refresh. Last week, we had a worship prayer card. Andy will be in the back, uh, maybe with someone else that's going to be handing out discipleship prayer cards. It really does start with what Haley said and what I mentioned earlier. It starts with prayer. If you're going, man, I want to grow spiritually. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to follow him broadly and specifically. I want to do that. Pray about it. Pray about what the next step is. There have been many times in my life and Olivia's life where we felt like we didn't know how to take the next step. We didn't know where to go, and God provided an answer. God provided a person to help us. So pray that God will provide for you, and I know that he will, because this is on Jesus's heart, right? Jesus is the one who thought of this whole idea from the beginning. Let's pray. Lord God, we do pray that we'd be a church that doesn't merely raise money, that doesn't merely talk about becoming a 900 people, that doesn't merely fund new staff positions and have conferences and development opportunities. We pray that we would not be a church that, like so many, that uh, plan many activities and gauge their effectiveness based on the budget and attendance. But we would, Lord God, be a church that is characterized by people who love you and who are being transformed by you in remarkable ways in community together because we love you. And because you have become the, the goal, the, the greatest aspiration of our lives, that we would follow you and become more like you. Lord, we thank you for what you're already doing at Trinity Park in this area. And we just pray for more. We pray that you continue to, to bring your kingdom here in this area of discipleship. In Jesus' name, amen.